The scripture reading comes to us from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Good morning. Today is January 24th, which means that by now, many of the New Year's resolutions that many people have made have already been broken and forgotten. Intermittent fasting has just become intermittent eating. Sober January was really just sober the first week of January. Your clean room already cluttered. But maybe I'm being cynical. Maybe some of you are still working out. Maybe you're still reading your Bibles, you're praying, and you're actively searching for the one. I, I hope this is true. Now, I bring this up because Exilic has a resolution for 2021. It's one that many of you have also made, but a little bit different. This year, we as a church are committed to becoming organized. Now, when you think of being organized, you might think of neatness, tidiness, efficiency, productivity. That's organization on a personal level, and that's not really what I'm talking about for our church. What I mean by exilic becoming organized on an institutional level, it refers to how our church is governed. Many of you work for either small or large companies. Now, in the corporate or the tech world, a company doesn't just begin with 10,000 employees. It begins as a startup, and then it grows and it scales into an established institution. Churches, too, are planted, and they begin very much like startups. And as they grow, they reach a point where they have to formalize structures and systems. And it is crazy to me that we are here, that we have reached this point. Last week, the pastors of our church, we met with other local pastors from our denomination, uh, and Pastor Aaron shared uh, the story of our church, how it started, and what God has been doing at Exilic for the past six years. And the people at the meeting, they couldn't believe it. And you know what? I really can't believe it either. I still remember seven years ago when Aaron told me that he wanted to church plant in Midtown Manhattan. And he was super excited. I'm going to call it exilic. It's going to be great. And my response to him was, don't be stupid. Find a job at an established church. You have a brand new wife to provide for. Church planting is the hardest thing you can do in ministry, and you want to do it in the most expensive place in the country, and you have no money. 
don't be a fool. Well, he didn't listen to me. He went ahead and he launched. And after a, uh, a few months go by and he calls me again and he says, Gene, we have like 25 people now. I'm going to need you to move cross country with your wife and one year old and join me. Oh, and I, I really can't pay you anything. I know. How could I refuse? But it's been a true, it's been truly amazing to witness and be part of what God has been doing at our church. We're at that point now with 300 active members along with 30 exilic kids. We're no longer a church plant and it's time for us to become an organized church. And while we can look to Fortune 500 companies for ideas on how to do that, we have to remember that the church is a unique institution and the Bible provides us our blueprint for how to become an established church. The Bible has much to say about how a church is to be organized. For example, we're currently studying the book of Acts in our community groups. And we see throughout Acts that the Apostle Paul plants many churches, but he doesn't just plant them and leave, he organizes them. So for three weeks, we'll be focusing on how the Bible says that a church is to be organized and governed. This week, we will look at church government. Next week will be elders, and the following week will be deacons. And our passage today is a very famous one. It is the Great Commission that Jesus gives to his 11 disciples after his resurrection. And the Great Commission, it's commonly associated with evangelism or overseas missions because Jesus tells his, his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. But these verses are not just a call to overseas missions. Jesus here is commissioning his disciples to go and plant churches. And that is exactly what the apostles do in the book of Acts. So we're going to focus on three aspects of the Great Commission as it applies to the government of the church. They are the authority of the church, the mission of the church, and the structure of the church. So first, authority. It feels as though the entire national news cycle for the past four years has revolved around who is in the Oval Office. This past week has marked the end of the most polarizing presidency in recent American history. There's so much division, hate, anger, anxiety, and fear over who leads our nation. I think we all need this reminder from Jesus today. Jesus says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth. Don't we often compartmentalize church and civic life? We, we understand that Jesus is in charge of the church and we worship him on Sundays, 
But we shouldn't bring him into our politics. We think at best it will be weird, and at worst we'll get the Christian nationalism that Pastor Aaron talked about in his sermon last week. And we forget that all authority, including political authority, has been given to Jesus, and he stands behind, above our elected officials and our federal government. And as Christians, we engage in politics. We embody our Savior's ethics, his wisdom, his humility, compassion, grace, and love. We don't cast aspersions on those with whom we disagree. And we don't fear, we don't worry, we don't despair that Jesus will not get the job done. Can I remind you now that everything that has happened in our country these past few weeks, last year, the past four years, and for all of its history has happened under the authority of Jesus Christ. Nothing has happened outside of his will and his control. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And of course, that means that he is also the head of the church. I asked my son Andy this week, I said, Andy, who is in charge of Exilic Church? And he said, Uncle Aaron. And I told him, absolutely not. Jesus is in charge of Exilic. This is his church. We belong to him. We are under his authority. You know, the, the week before Exilic launched in November of 2014, I preached the sermon at Pastor Aaron's ordination service. And in that message, I strongly reminded him that the church he was about to plant was not his church. I said, Aaron, Exilic is not your church. It is Jesus's church. Never forget that. And don't ever treat it like it's your church. And I think we all need a similar reminder because we lose sight of the authority of Jesus over the church and we treat it like any other common organization, or we make church about us, my needs, my wants. What am I getting out of it? How am I benefiting from it? How is the church serving me? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, the movies and the TV shows about Jesus, they always emphasize his weakness, his meekness. Do you ever find yourself exclusively thinking about Jesus in this way? Yes, Jesus came to die. But the cross, it was an act of divine militarism. Jesus came to conquer the great enemy, death, from the inside out. He demonstrated weakness and submitted to death, but you know what? Death could not contain him. The tomb is empty. The stone is rolled away. Our Savior lives. Our conquering hero, our exalted King, our glorious God, 
He has called us out of this world to be part of his army. And he is, in these verses, commissioning us to advance his kingdom, to shine his light into the darkness. The pastors, the elders, are not the head of the church. Christ is. And this is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 16 that he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. But it's very important for us to understand how he exercises that authority in the church. This past week, as more and more video was released on the attack on the Capitol building, I saw a few clips of the insurrectionists praying before uh, the attack and again after uh, they were in the Senate chambers. And it was quite disturbing how they were invoking the name of Jesus and doing all of these things in his name. Their problem, it was a profound misunderstanding of how Jesus exercises authority in the church and in civil government. Back when we did our Faith in Politics series in, in October, I preached on Romans 13. And there, Paul tells us that the governing authorities have been instituted by God and they have been given the sword. They are given power and authority to use force to protect and preserve its citizens and establish and maintain justice. But the church is not given the sword. Remember that story when, when Jesus is betrayed by Judas and he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane? The Gospel of John tells us that Peter jumps out with a sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Peter thinks that the mission of Jesus involves taking up arms to promote Jesus's cause. Necessary violence. Jesus rebukes Peter and he commands him to put the sword away. The church is not to wield the sword. It is not to use force. Jesus doesn't command his followers to advance his kingdom through violence or power. Instead, Jesus gives them very simple means in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The church is given three things here. Word, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Sacrament, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Discipline, make disciples of all nations and also teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. The church doesn't get the sword. It gets a book, some water, and a life of discipleship. These are the means that the church is to employ on its mission. 
We are to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel, making disciples, teaching and baptizing. We are not to coerce anyone. We're not to force anyone. We are Christ's ambassadors who share the good news that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ. He lived. He died. He rose from the dead to rescue the world. We call the world to repent of its sin and to come to Jesus by faith. The authority that Jesus gives to the church is exclusively spiritual. The church has a spiritual mission using spiritual means. So that's the mission of the church. My last point is the structure of the church. Verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth. What Jesus essentially does in the Great Commission is he delegates his authority to his followers. As they are commissioned, they are to go with the authority of Jesus to plant churches, to make disciples. And the authority that Jesus gives is to be a shared authority. Jesus doesn't just pick one person and, and empower him. The disciples, they represent the entire universal church. The power that Jesus gives is given to the entire body. But we see in the book of Acts that Jesus also entrusts particular believers with power as officers. The officers of the church are called to administer and exercise power on behalf of the whole church. Now, if this sounds confusing, it's really not. It's actually quite similar to our political form of government. In a democracy, the power is not consolidated by a monarch, but it is vested in the entire nation. The citizens have the power. So they elect fellow citizens who will represent them as officers, and they empower these officers to govern on behalf of the whole country. When we say that we are a Presbyterian church, this is what we mean. The word Presbyterian, it comes from the word presbyter, which means elder. Presbyterian churches are governed by a plurality of elders who are elected by the members of the church. Now, on the one hand, this is very logical. It makes a lot of sense. We've seen in the past few months our democratic process in America really stretched nearly to its limit. Repeated attempts to undermine our electoral system, culminating in an attack on the Capitol to subvert a peaceful transition of power, all at the encouragement of the commander-in-chief. But can you imagine what it would have looked like if there were no checks and balances in place? If we had a king rather than the democratically elected head of the executive branch of the government? If you look around the world at non-democratic forms of government, 
you won't find too many instances of peaceful transitions of power. And it really is a credit to our form of government that it has survived periods like the past few weeks. In the same way, our Presbyterian form of government, it provides safeguards, checks, balances against abuse and corruption. And like our democracy, it is far from perfect, but a whole lot better than the alternative. But it's not just logical. It doesn't just make sense. It's very biblical. We see this very early on in the Old Testament. In Numbers 11, Moses has a problem because the people are grumbling and threatening to revolt against him. They're sick of the manna that they have to eat every day, and they begin to demand meat. And Moses, go, Moses, Moses goes to God, and he asks God, where can I get meat for this whole nation in the middle of the wilderness? And God, rather than solving the problem or taking Moses' burden away, he responds by giving Moses 70 elders to share the responsibility. It's too much for Moses. So God provides him with fellow elders to lead together. This, this system, it's established very early on. And what happens is that once the temple is built in Jerusalem, worship is centralized there. But when the temple is destroyed, worship becomes decentralized into local communities called synagogues. And these synagogues would provide the model for local churches later in the book of Acts. And as the apostles plant the local churches in places like Ephesus and Philippi, they appoint elders to rule and pastor each church. And these elders, they do many things. In uh, 1 Timothy 4, we see that they ordain Timothy. They commission Paul and Barnabas for missionary work in Acts 13. They ordain deacons in Acts 6. But let me share with you one of my favorite instances of how this system of church government worked. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas, they have a dispute about circumcision uh, with certain false teachers who came to Antioch from Judea. And this dispute was not settled in the church in Antioch where it originated. What happens is that this matter is referred to an external church assembly, the Jerusalem Council of Apostles and Elders. And the assembly meets publicly to deliberate on the situation. And even the apostles themselves submitted to the council. Peter, Paul, James, any of them could have said, Hey, I'm an apostle. Here's what God told me to say. They don't do that. They present their case to the body of elders, one after the other. And afterwards, a letter declaring the conclusion is sent out, and the churches of Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia all submit to the council's decision. What Jesus establishes in the Great Commission and the apostles apply in the book of Acts is very much the type of church government that we are seeking to organize into this year.
And so we begin here with church government. Jesus has all authority. He is the head of the church, and he has called the church to faithfully make disciples by teaching and baptizing. He delegates his authority to the church, and that authority is to be a shared authority of the church, but particularly entrusted to the officers of the church. So next week, Pastor Aaron will preach on elders, and the following week, we'll focus on deacons. We hope that you will join us for that and also play a very important role this year in our path toward organization. Will you pray with me?